much. It's, it's so good to be here. And it's really a dangerous thing to say, but I feel more at home here than in any other pulpit. So thank you. Um, thank you, Merv, for your usual thinking outside the box as you led us in worship this morning. Thank you, Suzanne, for your boundless enthusiasm. And Derek for his skill on the guitar and uh, the young singers. Just so much to thank God for. Hamish, it's always good to hear your deft touch on the keyboard, <laughs> but also to watch your body language. Um, so, so many things that, you know, stir memories when, when I come here. And for you all, thank you so much. Um, the subject that I'm taking, because I was given some choice in the list of the faithful from Hebrews 11, is Sarah. And when you read the passage, which I'll read in a moment, it's virtually impossible. Sarah comes into the picture really with Abraham. They, they, they are handled together. And I know that you have the bishop next Sunday on Abraham, so I don't want to steal any of his thunder. He's a much better preacher than I am. And that's not me being falsely modest. I mean, um, Bishop Clark is just an outstanding communicator, and I wish I could be here to hear him. Um, but the, the story, it's Hebrews 11, 11 to 18. Let me read this because the two, as I say, are, are very much tied together. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him, sorry, enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God was not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Um, I'll read no more just now. I'm sure you were aware, Suzanne, that the praise you chose this morning was so appropriate. It was very much kingdom praise because that's really where I'm going with this. I mean, the story of Isaac and the birth of Isaac, rather, it's, it's very well known by all of us, I would say. Certainly, the, I must stop talk, touching this thing. Um, the, the, I mean, the, the drama is exciting. It's both romantically and biologically really remarkable. 
Uh, and there's no escaping that. There's no escaping it. Um, as you know, Abraham had advanced notice of the birth of Isaac. And by the way, he laughed too when he heard about it. We're inclined to associate the laughter with Sarah, but check it out sometime in Genesis 17, 17, because Abraham, he laughed too, but he kept his counsel on the matter. He does not appear to have talked about it within the, the marriage. But he knew there's, there's a son coming. The other thing, and I don't want to dwell on this because it's, it's, it's maybe a little bit distracting, but Sarah must have been a stunner. I mean, there's no question about this. This woman must have been remarkably good-looking. A, a, a real looker, even at pension age. Take heart. Even at pension age. <laughs> you, you, you know, only 25 years before the birth of Isaac, when she would have got her bus pass, uh, I mean, the pharaoh of Egypt fancied her. He really did. He, he, he looked at her and thought, wow, that's some woman. Uh, and, and even in more advanced years, Abimelech, king of Gihar, he thought Sarah was a desirable woman. So she, she must have taken good care of herself. I'll not say much more than that, but she was a real looker. I, 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 I didn't. Don't do this, by the way, but, this is a bi but I went on to Google and I put in Sarah the Beautiful, thinking I, I might get some... <laughs> Don't, don't, don't do it. I, I'm glad Betty didn't come into the room at the time. But I just thought some of the great masters may have painted this woman. I, you know, I knew there wouldn't be a selfie of her. But the, 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 the chances of maybe seeing some great master's view on Sarah did appeal to me. But as I say, gentlemen, don't do that. Uh, it, it's not a good place to go. Um, but however... She was very old. She was past the age of childbearing. Humanly speaking, what was promised was impossible. And the commentary on her story in the book of Hebrews, which you're following, these heroes of faith, that promise says, by faith Sarah received the power to conceive, or as the NIV puts it, was enabled to bear children. Sarah exhibited enabling faith. And that's really what I want to talk. I mean, in spite of all the, the doubts and the question marks and the laughter, she had the confidence to believe God has promised this. Therefore, it's going to happen. Against all the odds, if we're going to trust God, be expecting surprises. Now, don't take that too far. But you know what I mean. Uh, in this context, I mean, I'm not expecting Betty to have another child. Uh, uh, I think not. Uh, but, but, you know, nevertheless, when we trust God, then I do suggest we should be prepared to be surprised. Pray for that miracle. And pray for a sequel, you know, that, that, that you're going to hear news. Because the Bible talks about us praying in the morning and then looking up in the evening for the answer. We, we've got to pray in expectation. Faith is not some abstract thing. It's not some passive thing. It must have a focus. It must be placed wisely. We've said it before and you've heard it before. I mean, faith in a weak object or a weak person is of no avail. 
the Bible tells us that Sarah's confidence was in the faithfulness of the one who had promised that she would have a son. That's where her confidence was. This is faith that makes a difference. The faith that enables us to do exploits, to rise above the norm. For people around us to witness, these people have something. They, they, they have a God who, who works wonders. Don't complicate faith. It is essentially simply taking God at his word. Lord, you have promised. Uh, Spurgeon used to talk about, you know, cashing the promises of faith, the promises of God at the bank of faith. Cashing the promises of God at the bank of faith. Simply taking God at his word. Abraham and Sarah's secret, when, when we read this in detail, was that kind of faith. It's not for wimps. You know, saying to God, even that, that, that prayer that Gillian mentioned to us, you know, saying to God, today, Lord, I, I, give me the opportunities to stand up for you, to speak a word for you. Don't, don't, don't pray it casually. But boy, if you say it, pray it and mean it. God will answer. He'll open doors. He doesn't expect you to bring the conversation awkwardly around. He'll give you opportunities. The choice, the, the choice then is yours to take them, to walk through that door, to take the opportunity. It won't always be easy, but you'll know when the opportunity came. And you know, the sad thing is you'll know when it has passed. You wish, Lord, you did give me the opportunity and I missed it. Take it. Love that quiet time this morning. Thank you. That the courage to allow the church to report back and say what God is doing. I admire you for that. Great idea. This whole thing is so important. I feel very responsible this morning. It will make a difference when we exercise this sort of faith. It will transform the witness of grace fellowship. We want to take this seriously. And as I say, this enabling faith will show because it incarnates and it displays kingdom life. And that's, you, didn't you see that? You know, around Abraham and, and, and Sarah's life was this vision, we're part of something bigger. And their faith was given strength and power. It was invigorated by this truth. And this is very close to the heart of Jesus. I know I may seem to be going off on a tangent, but I promise you I'm not. It seemed to me as I was praying, God was saying this, Haddon, this kingdom that my son has come to establish, you're part of this. Grace Fellowship is part of this. And this is, in this kingdom is where faith has roots and where there is fruit that grows from this faith. The good news of the kingdom. You know, if you were to encapsulate, what was the ministry of Jesus? It was this. I have come because the kingdom of God is near. And I've come to declare that. Are we, are, are we ready to 
to, to, to get into that frame of mind where we realize, where we go out, we don't just get, you know, in, we don't just get vigorated here, I'm trying to get the right word, but we waken up on a Monday morning and we say, right, now what I learned and what I prayed about and what I sang about yesterday, I'm not going to have to live this in the community. This, seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said. He had so much to say about blessed are the poor in spirit for those who are persecuted and for theirs is the kingdom. There will be a great inaugural feast, he said one day, where we'll be sitting down with Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and Jacob in the kingdom. This is what Jesus talked about. This kingdom is near, it's now, it's not of this world. Some of it's not yet, but some of it is. And we're meant to incarnated in our lives and in our church life and in our community. This kingdom will never end. We sang about it this morning. It will never end. This is the eternal thing. And even after the cross and the resurrection, when Luke records the ministry of Jesus, after those 40 dramatic days before his ascension, it says, Jesus showed himself and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive and he spoke about the kingdom. This is on his mind. This is, this is so central. Of course, it, it didn't stop there. Whenever you find Philip going up into Samaria and there's revival there, what is it he's preaching about? The good news of the kingdom. And one could go on and on and on. It's the theme of Paul as he presses the message home at Ephesus. He stayed there, you remember. Acts 19 tells us all about it. Three months he was in the city. Three solid months each day entering the synagogue at Ephesus and arguing persuasively about the kingdom. This is central to the gospel. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about God and Jesus Christ, the two are inseparable. When we speak about Jesus, we speak about his kingdom. He came to set up an eternal kingdom. You know, we have a, a remarkable message of hope to a lost. It's not just about getting saved. I know that's so important. I wouldn't want to minimize it at all. But this is much bigger. This is God restoring the whole of the cosmos. Bringing in his kingdom. The world's in a mess, and we know why. The evil one, Lucifer, rebelled against the Most High and brought his rebellion to earth, and our forefathers cooperated with him, and we've taken part in the rebellion, and the world's in a mess because of it, and Satan seeks to destroy everything that God has made, and that includes us. The prince of the kingdom of this world, he's a usurper, he's a liar, he's a destroyer. All that we, we read about in our news and watch on our TV, the awful things in Aleppo, the ghastly things that are going, street thuggery, child abuse, you could name it all. The, the spread of disease, famine, 35 children dying every day from preventable diseases. You could go on and on. All because the kingdoms of this world are governed by self-interest and sin and wickedness. We know it. But that's where the declaration of the kingdom of God is such an exciting thing. 
Because what do I read? In this, this, I read the kingdoms of this world are going to be subdued and subdued, subsumed into the kingdom of our God and his Christ. Oh, victory is on its way. And it's worth getting excited about. It's worth getting excited about. And I ask you, I'm not going to labor this, but are you in this kingdom? You see, I know many of you, and I know a lot of you are. Thank God for that. We, we, we have this wonderful future, but it would be heartbreaking to think that there's anyone here and somehow you have never really embraced this truth of Jesus and entered into this kingdom. That would be so, so, so tragic. And maybe if there are those who are here and you don't know Jesus, Maybe it's because we haven't impressed you. Forgive us for that. Maybe we haven't exhibited this kingdom as we ought. Because you see, child of God, we, 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 we're not going to create a perfect world down here, but we are part of one. We are part of one. We're going to see this perfection. We're called to to model it. We're called to model it. We want to capture this vision. This vision that Jesus spoke about. It's not some man-made fantasy. This is God, his promise. God who cannot lie. It's a vision set in the minds of the ancient prophets, set in the minds of Sarah and Abraham And I just want to be sure that we just don't see it like a history lesson. Because we're part of this. The church of Jesus Christ, it it, it may be outlawed and suppressed in places like Saudi Arabia and South Korea and many places. It may be regarded by many as simply the manifestation of mankind's religious urges, some desire for something beyond life, wishful thinking. We may be marginalized. We may be set aside in this postmodern Western world. We're part of something big, something huge. It has always looked a bit trivial. A humble, teenage Galilean girl pregnant out of wedlock. You know the story. We're, we're about to think of it more closely as we approach the 25th of December. A village carpenter's son, a traveling preacher, a despised person, despised by the political and the religious authorities. His followers all mainly from the lower classes. No doubt about that. Not exclusively, but mainly. He's arrested, found guilty of blasphemy and treason. I mean, how did it become what it is today? It's against all the odds because it's a kingdom story. It's a kingdom story, executed in the most ghastly way. Talk of resurrection, yes, but it's suppressed by the authorities. Made to look as though it was all a bit of cheating. But we know he's alive. 
He's risen. He's ascended. He's sitting at the right hand of God. He's coming again. He's going to establish his kingdom. Are we excited about it? Are we excited about it? I, says God, will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, okay, we're not a big fellowship here. But boy, we're part of something big. We're part of something big and we need to hold our heads high in Christ. Because this whole world order is going to be shaken to its very epicenter. And all the indicators would be, and I don't want to become melodramatic about it, but all the indicators are that it's going to be soon. And the only anchor, the only source of security has been and continues to be the one who was rejected, hung on that cross, despised, treated with contempt. But we through him raise a banner of hope. And the world isn't going to listen until we grasp the excitement of this hope. So I ask you again if you grasp it. Because you see, although this world is going to be shaken and the kingdoms of this world are going to be shaken to their very epicenter, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and hope. Sin and evil and wickedness are an invasion on God's righteous rule. I have 20 American students over at the moment. They're heading back to the States tomorrow, but I had my last session with them on Monday. And I was reminding them, remember that this sinful world in which you're living is simply a blip in God's norm. Because God's eternal norm is shalom, perfect harmony. Justice and compassion and peace brought together. That's his norm. The devil in the eternal story has caused a blip. That's all it is. God will reestablish his norm. He does propose to set up his kingdom. And it will be a kingdom of righteousness and peace and glory. Who grasps the significance of it? What a message we have. Eden restored. A kingdom of breathtaking beauty revealed in Christ to all. This is the message that we have to declare. It's wonderful. Sarah got the vision. And the impossible became possible because she got that vision. They saw it by faith. They were part of this kingdom. And it changed everything as it does. It really does. It changes everything. We enter into the kingdom individually, and I've asked you before, be sure you're part of it. In God's name, be sure you're part of it. If you're real about this, if you really are listening, saying, Haddon, you know, maybe I'm not. I've taken part in the praise. I like the company of people here, but I've never really entered into this kingdom. I I just urge you to think about it. 
Don't let it pass by default. Don't assume that being sort of part of the fellowship means you're part of the kingdom. I, I just beg you to be careful on this. Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm so grateful that you went to that cross. I acknowledge you went there for me. I want to say thank you. Be sure you've been there and done that. If you're real about it, you will receive citizenship of that kingdom and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will be your sponsor. Wow, what a privilege. Because you see, our salvation is more than just being somehow saved from the fires of hell. It's entering into the eternal kingdom of God with a future that is breathtaking and with the Spirit of God coming to indwell us and help us to live lives that are victorious. You know, have you really got it into your head, child of God, that God wants to make you like Jesus in your situation? He wants to get you as close to what Jesus would be, networking with your, frame, with your friends in your situation, your school, your employment, your family. How would Jesus behave here? He wants to get you as close to that as possible. And citizenship is like that in this kingdom. Because he doesn't just say, go and try. He says, come and we'll do it together. I'll work within you. In terms of international impact, Jesus left this world rather quietly on a Judean hillside. Only a few there, a few friends. Stories well documented. He sent it up into heaven. They watched him go. A couple of citizens of heaven itself manifested themselves before them and said, what are you looking at? I'm sure they didn't say it that way. The Bible puts it quite formally. Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus shall so come again just as you have seen him go. He's coming back. I would like to have the practice of Horatius Bonner where he threw his curtains back every morning, it said, and he said, perhaps today, Jesus, living as though he had died yesterday, risen today, and coming tomorrow. Are you ready for it? He left quietly, but oh, his return to establish the kingdom. It's not going to be quiet. It's going to be tremendously exciting. The Bible talks in terms of coming in the clouds of glory. Wow. Wow. Every eye will see him. I don't know how God's going to do that. Every eye will see him. The trumpet will sound. So there's going to be this great sound of the archangel's trumpet of God. Every knee will bow in acknowledgement to his lordship, universal lordship. No question anymore about what is true and what is false. The truth is going to be manifest in Jesus Christ as he returns. A great company that no man can number. You're going to be there. 
a great company that no man can number. And the usurper's reign will be brought to an abrupt end. What a great day that will be. Sarah and Abraham, they were looking for that day several thousand years ago. And the fact that they lived in the context of that promise transformed their whole lives and made a 90-year-old woman capable to believe God that she could become pregnant. And she did. And she bore a child in whose line came the son of the living God, Jesus Christ. What a story. And I simply say, can we, with God's help, share Sarah's faith and shock the world around us when they see kingdom standards being manifest within the people of God because that's what God promises and is looking for. And that's not some sort of vain possibility. That's something that can happen. God among us. Do we believe that? Or do we have inferior, inadequate, mediocre concepts of what the church should look like? Oh, I know, I remember Liz telling me once, hadn't you lead us up the garden path, but you never take us through the gate. Liz, you've been very honest with me. <laughs> no, I, I love that. Liz and Charlie, uh, uh, Charlie Dunlop kept me on my toes. They did, and they were right to do so. Challenged me. I'll tell you, I want to go through that door. I want to see all that God has for us. I don't even want to let a stroke inhibit me from enjoying all that's best in God's kingdom. I believe our God has for us things we've never dreamt of. I hath not seen nor ear heard. That doesn't just refer to heaven. God has things to do within the body of Christ, within the kingdom of God on earth. And we are in danger of inhibiting him simply because we don't believe he means it. Sarah believed he meant it when he gave an impossible promise. Do we? Do we? Could we buy him? We're going to stop there. We're going to sing in a moment. And I've asked Suzanne to lead us in that He's the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was shed. I want us to end with a kingdom song. But let's just bow as I close in prayer. And I know that this is inadequate. But, oh God, there is nothing inadequate about you. You are God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. There is no power in the universe that can hold you back. When you determine to act, there is nothing and no one who can thwart your purposes. And you will build your church. You are building your church, and we have here a little part of it. But, oh God, we want to be liberated with the sort of faith that Sarah had, enabling faith, faith that will make the impossible come to pass. 
faith that looks to God and says, we know that you are able, Lord. We believe, help thou our unbelief. Strengthen our faith. Move in our individual lives. Move in our families. Move in Grace Fellowship, Lord. And bring about a transformation where people will see in us something of that kingdom which Jesus has established, of which he is king, and which one day will be manifest to the whole of the cosmos. So hear us, we pray. And Lord, we can look forward to that great day mentioned by your apostle Jude when he said that you would introduce us, the bride of Christ, before the very angels of heaven, perfect and with great joy. Oh, what a future we have. May we realize it, act upon it, and live in the light of it. For Jesus Christ's sake we pray. Amen.